Hey, deserving listeners, today's episode is just for patrons of the podcast. So for you patrons, you heard my recent episode on love bombing. And in that episode, I asked people to email in their experiences of love bombing. And I thought I would do a follow-up episode where I read your emails and analyzed them. Some of you wrote in with accounts of yourself as the love bomber, which is interesting. So we're going to read those emails as well. There's a bunch of them. And I think that the way to really understand love bombing is to hear the accounts of it from both sides. And so that's what I'm going to do in this episode. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. My name is Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and professor. And this episode is just for patrons of the podcast. So if you want to hear this whole episode, you have to become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. Do it now if you like. All right, welcome to the Patron Zone patrons. This first email is from Anonymous Patron. They said, this deep dive hit home hard, the deep dive on love bombing. In 2019, I decided to try online dating. I hadn't tried to date in a long time, so I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I met, this is, by the way, Anonymous Patron, did I mention? <laughs> Sometimes I forget to say it. So Anonymous Patron said they started to date in 2019. I met this guy online, let's call him Sam. We exchanged texts, and over these texts, he talked about himself a lot and what he was looking for in a partner. He wanted to get married within a year and start a family immediately, and I was the ideal person for him. When I asked him where he grew up, he told me horrendous stories filled with loss, neglect, and hustling, quote-unquote, him hustling. I wanted to disengage from him, but at the same time, I felt sorry for him. He kept sending me daily text messages, and he would get mad if I didn't answer immediately. Mind you, we hadn't met in person yet. He kept saying I wasn't fully committed and that it was a pity because he knew I was his soulmate and he knew how to choose a partner wisely. After a month of calls and texts, I decided to meet with him. But three days after the first meeting, I deleted and blocked his number, his number, uh, breaking up with him. All right, so let's look at the look at your criteria. So chiming in here, the emailer, anonymous patron, went through my different criteria for love bombing and analyzed. All right, so getting back to the email. Uh, Criterion, they choose a vulnerable target. Love bombers will choose a a vulnerable target. Yes, I was lonely and insecure at the time. Another criterion for love bombing, they throw compliments often. They give a lot of compliments. Yes, he was continuously telling me I was beautiful inside and out. Love bombers will communicate often. Yes, he sent lots of texts, often in all caps, He called as well, but I often dodged his calls. Love bombers will move very quickly in relationships. Yes, after our first date, he told me he wanted to move in and get married right away. He wanted to get me pregnant right away as well. Love bombers will offer to save you. Maybe, I'm not sure. He kept talking about how wealthy he was, though. Love bombers push for commitment quickly. Absolutely, he did that. Love bombers, with love bombers, you will find yourself doing things you wouldn't normally do. Yes, he pushed for sexual intimacy when we met. Love bombers don't react well when you want to slow down. Yes, I told him he was moving too fast and he called me unstable and he wasn't happy with me pushing back. Love bombers will give many gifts. Uh, 
I'm not sure because there wasn't enough time for our relationship. Love bombers will, with love bombers, you will experience an unnamed fear of displeasing them. Yes, he definitely made me uncomfortable and afraid. Friends will say you've changed in a bad way. There wasn't enough time for that. Love bombers talk crap about their exes. Yes, he definitely did that. Love with love bombers, there may be an age difference. No, but he was more experienced with dating. Love bombers get hurt very easily. Yes, he got hurt easily. Love bombers don't respond well to boundaries. Yes, he said that boundaries had no place in a relationship. With love bombers, it seems that love is conditional. Yes, he gave me ultimatums all the time. Love bombers don't respond well to your criticism. Yes, indeed, he, that was true for him. In conclusion, this was a very traumatic experience that warranted a lot of introspection for me, and your podcast really helped. Okay, good email, anonymous patron, going through the different criteria, and let's review what you said here. You said that he, he talked about himself a lot, and he wanted to get married within a year and start a family, and he was pushing very quickly, even before you met in person. This is all over texting. And he also mentioned that he went through a very difficult childhood and that he also did a lot of hustling, quote-unquote. What does hustling mean? Well, I don't know what he meant by that, but often what that means is stealing from people or tricking people out of their money or this sort of thing. It says here you wanted to disengage from him, but at the same time you felt sorry for him. So he chose a vulnerable target because you were lonely and insecure and inexperienced with dating. And he love-bombed you with, We're, I'm your soulmate, we are soulmates, I, I know how to choose partners wisely. It seems as though he is exhibiting what I would call the narcissistic personality disorder type of love bombing, in that he had a difficult child growing up, childhood growing up, and this caused him to have a lot of attachment insecurities, but his defense against that is to hold up a grandiose vision of himself, not only to prove to other people that he's awesome, but also just to prove to himself so that he doesn't have to face the emptiness that he feels inside. And, of course, he still has attachment needs. So the way that he approaches attachment needs is through desperation in a grandiose narcissistic way, which is how you're saying. He's like, we're soulmates, so he's, he really feels that way. So uh, as, he, as he approached you, it's, again, I can't know for sure, obviously, because I, I don't know him. But other cases that I've treat, that treated that have these kinds of red flags, they are very desperate for closeness. And so when they get close to someone, they will feel very elated because they finally are able to get their attachment needs met. And so similar to borderline and histrionic, they become extremely elated and euphoric, like, oh my goodness, I'm finally going to get my attachment needs met. And they have a fantasy in an all good, all bad kind of way of looking at things. And they idealize you, which is part of the love bombing experience. Now, they're not love-bombing on purpose, the narcissistic people. They genuinely feel all these feelings. And because they are narcissistic, they believe that their love is the only love. They believe that their experience of love is bigger than anyone else's. Their experience of relationships is superior to, to anyone else's. They can't really imagine, and they've had a whole lifetime of avoiding other people's minds because they are mainly in their own mind. 
that they just don't really have, they can't put it in perspective. They can't say like, well, other people have been in love before. I'm not the only one that's ever been in love before. And he also says something here that he, he knows how to choose a partner wisely. So why would he say that? Now, again, if he is narcissistic, then he probably genuinely believes that. It's not a lie. He, he probably believes, yes, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm superior when it comes to choosing a partner wisely. And then we have this hustling aspect, which lends itself maybe more towards psych- psychopathy, but hard to tell. But then you go through all the different uh, criteria, very, a lot of compliments, communicating often, moving very quickly, offer to save you. And you, you say, well, he didn't really offer to save me, but he did talk about how wealthy he was, which is a, a, a definite component of love bombers, not all the time, obviously, but many often, is they're looking for someone that they want to save because it feels safer to them. If they can have usefulness to their partner, then they perceive that as a more secure relationship because the part, you know, their partner won't leave them because the, their partner will need them. And if they can flash wealth or power or some other kind of thing that is useful to the under partner, then they perceive that as, as providing security. And he pushed for commitment quickly. You found yourself doing things you wouldn't normally do. He didn't react well when you want to slow down. He gave, he didn't give you many gifts. He didn't have that one. You did have an unnamed fear of displeasing him. He talked a lot of crap about his exes. Um, he got hurt easily. He didn't respond well to boundary setting. Uh, love was conditional and he didn't respond well to criticism. So yeah, what I would guess or what I would uh, pursue as a hypothesis with this fella that you are using the the name Sam, it's you know, it's it's not his real name. I would pursue the hypothesis of narcissistic personality disorder and love bombing as a defense against uh, loss, you know. When when people with personality disorders, narcissism, histrionic, borderline finally find someone that might work out, there's this question mark in their mind of, well, what if it doesn't work out? What if this person doesn't really love me? Well, they are so terrified of that, that they can't, they don't want to leave anything up for, for doubt. And so they can't not contact you. Because if they're sitting, you know, they come home from work and they're, they're like, well, you know, we've seen each other every day for the past eight days, I don't need to see him today. But for the love bomber, they will, in their mind, say, but what if this is the night that my partner decides to drift away from me? What if this is the night that my partner decides to go back to their ex or date someone else? I, I can't take that. Or what if my partner forgets about me? I, I, I can't take that. So I, I've got to fill in that uh, ambiguity with me. <laughs> I got to, I got to insert myself into this person's life. Now it's not a conscious thing, but it is a motivation for sure. Up to your patron Melody from Mississippi wrote in something very interesting. She is talking about being a perpetrator of love, love, of love bombing. She says, I will shower my partner with gifts and favors for weeks. When I can't be con- consistent, I will distance myself from them and he will think I am upset with him. I am diagnosed with complex PTSD, and it and love bombing makes me feel more secure to believe that my partner re- will rely on me. Most of my relationships have failed because of the inconsistency that I exhibit, and I've been called out for my love bombing. 
I'm currently working on this in therapy. End of email. So upper tier patron Melody, you exhibit a lot of self-awareness. So that is fantastic. And you, you say you have complex PTSD. I don't know if you consider yourself to be on the preoccupied or the avoidant attachment spectrum or the narcissistic or borderline histrionic spectrum. But complex PTSD, usually as a result of being abused or harmed or abandoned by our parents or people that we're close to growing up, causes relational traumas, which makes us feel extremely insecure and uh, unlovable or that we can't really depend on other people. And so you say that you will love bomb because it makes you feel more secure to believe that your partner relies on you. So I'm guessing you probably had an element of that growing up in your complex trauma. I wonder if there was some kind of relying on someone, like you relied on someone or someone relied on you, and this was a little bit of attachment security that you either witnessed or you experienced. And so this gives you a template growing up of like, oh my God, how do I get attachment security? Well, I can't trust other people or no one's going to like me. But if I get people to rely on me, then maybe, maybe I can actually get some attachment security. And the way I can make people rely on me is if I shower my partner with gifts and I shower them with favors. So gifts and favors will make them indebted to me or make them reliant on me. I might even find people that are dependent, people who have a hard time fending for themselves and I will come in as their mom and take care of them and shower them with gifts and favors and they will depend on me and this will make me feel more secure. But then as time goes on, you, you say, you, you know, you can't be consistent with that all the time because you can't be constantly showering your partner with gifts and favors because you just don't have that kind of energy. You will distance yourself and then your partner will think that you're upset with him because he's think, thinking, what's going on? You were giving me all these gifts and favors and attention, and now you're distancing yourself, and I'm hurt, and I'm upset. But what's really happening is you're just running out of energy for the love bombing, and you're currently working on this in therapy. So that's, that's very, very good for you, Melody. And the key is to establish attachment security through... Um, you know, relational kinds of therapies with a therapist and or by engineering those relationships in your um, personal life. With that, you don't need to love bomb anymore. All right, let's go on to anonymous upper tier patron from North Hills, California. She writes, it's shocking how closely the definition you described in your love bombing deep dive that resembles my previous bad relationship, which I was in for three years. I ended up falling in love with him because of how much attention and care he showed for me. But in the beginning, for about four to six months, he seemed absolutely infatuated with me. He wrote me poems daily. He got very jealous easily. We would text throughout the day. He would ask me about my day. He would make me feel very loved and valued. But as time progressed, he became completely de detached from me, never wanted to text me throughout the week. He stopped asking me anything about me and what was going on in my life. In fact, he refused to do anything affectionate to me. 
I was not allowed to complain or disagree about how neglected I felt because he would warn me he has temper issues and said that he would that he would never ever change for me. He said if I want a boyfriend to text every day, I needed to find a new partner. He said if I ever brought it up again, we were done. So I stifled my pain for the next two and a half years until I finally had my breaking point. Once I began pulling away, he started to love bomb again. He identified a bunch of things he did wrong and promised to change. He read me a 13-page letter out loud and would not let me interject. He read it in its entirety. He brought concert tickets for the weekend. He he brought gifts for me and offered to give me $7,000 to get a car that I wanted. I declined all of this and still wanted to end things with him. But he, so he got really angry and told me he was an amazing guy and I would never find a guy like him again. I wanted to know what you, what you may, what you would, how you would conceptualize this based on the tidbits I provided. End of email. Yeah. So again, I can't diagnose from afar. I have no idea. But based on the red flags, it again looks like narcissistic personality disorder type. Why does it look that, that way? Well, it doesn't, there doesn't seem to be any psychopathy. There doesn't seem to be any sadism in this fella in that uh, we would see someone that was cruel, someone that had maybe a pattern of callousness and complete lack of empathy for other people's feelings in general, not just you. Uh, criminal versatility, these kinds of things are common for um, psychopaths. So we don't really hear that. We don't know if that's not present because we're not we haven't done a full assessment, but we don't hear any details of that. We do hear details of narcissism, though. And again, these people were neglected growing up and learned to, that they had to depend on their ego to survive. And so they bolster this fantasy of themselves in order to avoid the emptiness. And uh, there are some tidbits here that you gave. Well, he gets angry. Narcissistic people tend to get angry more often than others. And he's, when you were breaking up with him, he said, I'm an amazing guy. <laughs> he says, as you're breaking up with him, he says, I'm an amazing guy. And he says that you're never going to find another guy like me again. I mean, that sounds a little self-aggrandizing. Uh, also, he read you a 13-page letter out loud and wouldn't let you interject. That is a very narcissistic thing to do. <laughs> Maybe I haven't really talked about that much, but... A very common thing for narcissistic types, if you're on the spectrum, is I've got a lot of things to say, and I, and you can't in you can't interrupt me, and you must listen to me. So why would they do this? Well, the what's happening often, and there's red flags of this with this guy is oh my god, I'm about to lose my attachment figure, which is terrifying to me because I've never had a good attachment figure since the day I was born, and I really want to retain it. So how do I retain it? Well, I have decided when I was one and a half years old that I am awesome, that I can do anything, and that if people would just listen to me, surely they would understand because my thoughts are superior. My emotions are, are special. I am special, and if everyone just understands me, then everything will be fine. And a very frequent tactic for narcissistic-oriented individuals when there's relational tension is lecturing. And that's what he did. <laughs> you started to break up with him and he said, okay, let me lecture you. I'm going to read you a 13 page letter. And surely after that, you will understand and you will uh, want to come back to me. 
then we also see that there are elements of love bombing and that when you're breaking up with him, all that love bombing came back. That That's kind of a sure sign of, a, of someone who has a love bomb defense, which is love bomb at the beginning, they retract the love bombing, you ask, let's break up, and then they start love bombing you again. Uh, because a, another pattern that wouldn't be love bombing is in the beginning of the relationship, it, it looks like love bombing. Things kind of cool down. You ask to break up and they're like, yeah, okay, that makes me sad. So I would characterize that as a new relationship in which it was really intense for maybe both of you in the beginning. Things cooled off and then you broke up with them and they sort of agreed with you. So uh, it's hard to know. And of course, there's no blood test for um, for love bombing, but it it's just one sort of way of looking at the difference between falling in love and being intensely really into someone in the beginning and having a defense of love bombing as a tactic to retain relationship security or a tactic of love bombing to just trick someone into being with you. Uh, so, yeah, um, that's what it looks like to me, upper tier patron from North Hills, California. Um, all right, let's go on to another email here. Patron Victoria from Virginia, she says, I was love-bombed by a religious group. In fact, I would call it a cult. I was 17 with a very strict emotionally unavailable parents, with very strict un- emotionally unavailable parents. Therefore, I was the perfect target. They, the religious group seemed to actually care about me and made me feel like my angsty teen feelings were valid. They told me, God had great plans for me and that I had special gifts. I had grown up homeschooled with very few friends and no support structure, so I ate this up because they told me that God had special plans for me and that I had special gifts. It bolstered my self-esteem. I felt like I belonged for the first time in my life, and it is still to this day the least lonely I've ever been, even though I know it wasn't real. End of email. Yeah, so... Again, there's a difference between a love-bombing, manipulative cult group and a profound religious group experience with a group of people. So with the love-bombing, it will be a tactic to suck you in and will be accompanied by a lot of other tactics like separating you from your family and friends brainwashing you to serve the group interests, these kinds of things. But if one were to enter a religious group and find a find community and find, oh my God, I'm finally accepted. Oh my goodness, these people like love me for who I am and, and accept me for who I am. I've never felt that before. I, I want to hang out with them all the time and, and, they allow that, and there's a lot of church activities and da-da-da. Well, as long as it's not strings attached, then it's just an individual really meshing well with a religious group and really falling in with them. But it sounds like for you, uh, you concluded based on, you know, it was a short email, so you're not giving all the details, but I'm guessing that there are a lot of things in there where you're like, because your last line is, you know, to this day, it was the least lonely I've ever felt, even though I know it wasn't real. So something must have happened in that experience with the religious group slash cult 
where you learned, oh, this this love that they were giving me in the very beginning, this this sense of togetherness that they were giving me in the beginning was fake. It was a lie. It was manipulative. You know, they didn't really care about me as a human being. They cared about me as a cult member and did everything uh, for that reason. But you bring up another interesting flavor to this conversation, patron Victoria from Virginia, in that you're saying that it was the least lonely you've ever felt. And whether it's a religious group or in a romantic relationship or in a work relationship, that is a common experience to feel truly heard and truly understood, even though later on you learn it's fake. It's intoxicating. Love bombers can be intoxicating, especially if you've been lonely or attachment insecure throughout your life. It's so overwhelming to feel like finally someone sees me and finally someone is reciprocating the love that I have to give. I have so much love to give and this person is giving me love back and they're receiving my love. They feel it. It is intoxicating. Now, it, it one might say, but wait, so I'm doomed? I'm, I, I, in order to get that feeling, that euphoria, I have to be love bombed? No, you can actually experience true togetherness in a non-love bombing intense relationship, but it probably won't feel as intense <laughs> because in realistic relationships, there's a little bit of mistrust because you don't know each other very well yet. And a little bit of realism in the relationship, like, well, we don't really know if we're made for each other. This is why love bombing can happen to people usually when they're younger, both as victims and as perpetrators. And you'll, you'll find that younger people will tend to love bomb each other in that they will see the other as a fantasy rather than the real thing and just completely fall in love with that fantasy and just fall head over heels in love with each other. And then a few weeks later, the fantasy fades. You're like, wait, I don't even know if I like this person. (laughs) You go through that enough times and, you know, you're 35 and you start dating again and you're like, you just know that that just isn't, Likely, you have the you have the feelings. You say you go on a date and you're really clicking, you're, and you have all those feelings, and you're like, "Well, I've felt this before, and it wasn't real." <laughs> so let's let's sort of put it in perspective. It doesn't mean I'm not compatible with this person, but it certainly doesn't mean that this is the one. Because I, I just have to. It could be, you know, it certainly could be the one, but. Uh, let's let's take it easy. Let's let's take it. I, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to feel the euphoria, but I'm not going to make any plans. And that that's really the thing about realistic relationship love is let's be let's be realistic about it. Let's we can we have urges right now, or I have an urge to say I want to marry you right now, and I, I have an urge to say you're my soulmate. But let's all just know that unless this feeling persists for a couple years, we just don't know if this is going to last. I'm feeling it right now, but who knows after a couple years, if we're we're still feeling this way, then wow, we've, we've really hit the jackpot here. But if in a few months we find one of us finds that this isn't really lasting, then okay. But we gave it a shot, you know, and we lived in the moment. So 
that that's a more realistic way of experiencing new relationship energy as the polyamorous will call it. But anyway, so patron Victoria mentions being love bond by a religious group, which is very interesting. All right. Discord guardian Nini. If you're on discord, you will know Nini. And I met her over zoom. We had a Discord guard, you know, the Discord guardians are the moderators, and we had a full-on converse or a full conversation about uh, moderating. <laughs> anyway, so it was, it was nice to finally meet Nini. Anyway, email. First off, I really appreciate the seemingly first differentiated take on love bombing on the internet ever. Uh, so I said that sentence funny. First off, I really appreciate the seemingly first differentiated take on love bombing on the internet ever. I have disorganized attachment. I am more narcissistic and avoidant than preoccupied, but I have learned to become more vulnerable over the past five years. I tend to love bomb as well, friends, family, and romantic partners. When I was around 14 years old, I discovered I was very good at making thoughtful gifts, and people were super glad about it. I loved the praise that I got from giving people these thoughtful gifts. With other disorganized types of people, this often leads to a lot of hurt because we become super enmeshed and they want to be hugged and cuddled often, but I just give them gifts instead, so they start demanding more gifts, especially when I try to draw boundaries and more hugging and more cuddling. And I often feel exploited because I don't have unlimited amounts of time or money, and they also feel exploited I say, I feel exploited because I don't have unlimited amounts of time or money, and they feel exploited because it looks like I lead them on and then don't want to fully commit. But I definitely do want to commit, but I just need a bit more time. So I want to openly apologize to everyone I've love-bombed and then ghosted. End of email. Yeah, again, as with the previous emailer, very high level of self-awareness, Nini, and it's, I'm glad that you wrote this in. It takes a lot of courage to admit this. And you want to openly apologize to everyone that you've love-bombed and then ghosted. So what we're talking about here is the other side of that coin. You're talking about the avoidant, narcissistic, love-bombing type where you uh, – and you have disorganized attachment. So I suspect you have some pretty difficult childhood experiences that make you – um, sus suspect of other people and made you turn away from them and made you rely on the self in a narcissistic way to deal with the deep pain and the deep emptiness that you might feel from, from time to time. I think it says that you've been in therapy, so good for you for that, or you've been working on it, so good for you for that. And you say that you love bomb, not only romantic partners, but your friends and family. And what you do is that you give thoughtful gifts to people and then they praise you for that. And so what this does for you is it gives you some venue to express love, but also to get people to depend on you, and thus you can have some attachment security with them. But as you get closer to them and become enmeshed, as you say, they want to be hugged and cuddled often. They want that kind of physical affirmation. And it sounds like you might uh, tend to uh, couple up with people who also have disorganized attachment and might have a fair amount of, I don't know, c complexity around how they ask for being hugged and cuddled. And 
So you just give them more gifts instead. You're just like, okay, you know, I don't want to cuddle, but I'll give you a gift instead. And they probably receive it well because they're like, okay, well, the gifts mean that she cares about me and she likes me. But then over time, you're like, why do I have to spend all this money and all this time giving them gifts all the time? This doesn't feel good to me. This feels like I'm being taken advantage of. But then on their side, you're saying that they feel taken advantage of them because it looks like you're leading them on because you're giving them all these gifts that show that you're really into them. But when they try to approach you intimately, physically, and maybe emotionally, you pull away and it seems like you can't really fully commit. And as an avoidant narcissistic person, it's very common. But you're saying, but deep down, I do want to commit because, of course, narcissistic avoidant people do want relationships. They do want to commit. They're just terrified utterly of it. And when there's any sign of any kind of vulnerability or pain or rejection, they instantly run and turn away and even internally. And while I'm on the topic, I've I've seen this in in very, very stark contrast or very – I've seen this in a very stark way where someone – it's not conscious always. So you can have someone who will just fall deeply. So it's narcissistic avoidant person or just say an avoidant person and avoidant attachment style. And they fall deeply, deeply in love with someone. They love bomb, love bomb, love bomb. And then things start to settle down. And this is when there's a little bit more ambiguity. You know, the, the honeymoon phase is over and both people in the relationship are thinking, so is this really going to last? Does this person really like me? You know, there's a little bit more at stake because in the first week you can really throw everything at the relationship. And if it ends, you're like, well, you know, it was just a week, but you get into a few months, six months, a year. Now things start to be like, wait, you know, I've invested a lot into this. If this person rejects me now, this is going to be pretty, this is going to hurt a lot. And so that's when the avoidant person starts to feel that fear, whether it's a weekend or a year in or whatever. And they start to think, oh my goodness, I'm vulnerable. I'm vulnerable to being hurt. And there's little fights. There's little indications of rejection. And so you're like, oh, I, I got to run. And so for some avoidant people, their running behavior and emotions will be so severe that they will say, I'm not in love with this person anymore. I don't want to be with them. I, in fact, I, I, I hate everything about them. And then they'll go down this road of avoiding, avoiding, avoiding that whole thing. They'll eventually break up. And then a week later, or maybe even a day later, all of that avoidant, you know, the avoidant defense goes away because they're, they're out the door. They're, uh, the claustrophobia has been satisfied. You know, if you've ever been claustrophobic, you're stuck in an elevator or something or you're whatever, whatever gives you claustrophobia. There's this mounting fear, right, of just like, get out, get out, get out, get out. And then as soon as you get out, boom, the anxiety usually dissipates pretty quickly. Well, that's what it's an it's an it's analogous to avoiding attachment style. You're in this relationship. I got to get out, got to get out, got to get out. I don't like this person. I don't like this person because your your avoidant defense eclipses any affection that you have for this person consciously. And then as soon as you're out of the relationship, boom. You feel relaxed and all of that love comes rushing back in and the person then goes back to love bombing <laughs> in this narcissistic way. So that's, just, that's not what Nini isn't describing that, but I just thought I would talk about that. But good awareness, Nini. I'm very proud of you. Patron Marie from the Southeast says, 
With my love bombing, I experienced everything except for the age gap that you talked about with your criteria of love bombing. Uh, so let's. So the emailer went through all of my criteria. Love bombers choose a vulnerable target. Yes, I was vulnerable because I was leaving a verbally abusive marriage as a new mom. Love bombers will communicate often. Yes, the communication from him was frequent. He demanded my undivided attention. Even if he was asleep and I wasn't, I had to text him everything I was doing. So just chiming in here. This is particular. Even if he was asleep and I was still up, I had to text him everything I was doing. Okay. If I forgot, he would say that he was hurt. He insisted on being on the phone with me the whole night sometimes. And when we did, as I was falling asleep, he would whisper things like, I want you forever and I love you in my ear, which would wake me up. He later told me that he would say these things to me as I was sleeping so that I'd have that love and the idea of forever implanted, uh, forever implanted in my subconscious. So just I, mean, I don't think I said that sentence as well, but essentially as she was falling asleep, he would whisper things into, you know, the ear, like, I want you forever. I love you. I love you. As this attempt to plant seeds in her brain, I guess, which on one hand you could say is really sweet. On the other hand, you could say is really creepy. Hard to know. Depends on what the motivation is, right? If, if it's done with, if it's done unconditionally. And that's the, that's one of the big keys here is that if you are experiencing a lot of love and attention for someone and it is unconditional, it's not love bombing. Love bombing is when it is conditional. So if someone, as you're falling asleep, starts to say, I love you, I love you, I love you in your ear, and it's no strings attached, then it's just a weird way of expressing one's love. And if you don't like it, you can say, I don't like that. And they'll back off because they respect your boundaries. For the love bomber, they're either psychopathic and they're trying to manipulate you, or they're so desperate for closeness that they can only do those. They, they need you to comply with that, essentially. The dogs are barking. Probably someone at the front door. Maybe it's a delivery person. But it's late at night. Why would that be happening? Uh, love bombers move quickly. Yes, he wanted to move very quickly. He said he wanted me forever and that he wanted to get me pregnant. So just chiming in here. Yeah, a lot of love bombers, men in heterosexual relationships will often have that uh, push of, I want to get you pregnant or I want, you, I want us to have a baby right away because to the love bomber, if they're a psychopath, they're trying to get control over you. Because once you have a kid with them, they know they'll have, they'll have, you'll have more sort of relational ties to them and more dependency on them. And if they're a non-psychopathic love bomber, then they're just so desperate to move forward and establish security that they want it, they want it to do it right away. Getting back to the email. When I tried to slow things down with him, he accused me of trying to downgrade our relationship. Once I said we were dating, and he said, dating, is that all you think this is? I see this as a committed partnership. Right. So just chiming in here on that one. Uh, it, you know, say you have two people there. One person is dating. The other person is in a committed partnership. You know, one person's like, yeah, I'm in a committed partnership. And the other person's like, ah, oh, we're just dating. 
and it comes out that the other person says, I think we're just dating. Well, for the committed partnership person, there's nothing wrong with saying, oh, I thought we were in a committed partnership. I didn't realize that you thought we were just dating. Well, that kind of hurts my feelings, but you know, that's fine. If, if that's how you want things to go, maybe I should just slow down a little bit. That's not love bombing. But what a love bomber will do is it'll be a threat. It'll be a, a very scary thing that, oh, no, no, no. If, that, if my partner thinks we're just dating, then that means I am not secure as I want to be. And so I have to convince this person that they're wrong. We're not just dating. We're in a committed partnership. Getting back to the email. You find yourself doing things you wouldn't normally do with love bombers. Yes, I moved faster with him sexually than I otherwise would have because I was worried about hurting him and making him feel like I didn't care. Love bombers will give you many gifts. Yes, he sent me many gifts in the mail. Love With love bombers, you will have an unnamed fear of displeasing them. Yes, I was always scared of displeasing him because he would treat me like I was abusive and selfish if I did displease him. He would lecture me on empathy and how to properly communicate with people. He would also say that my ex-husband had damaged me. These statements made me suicidal and gave me panic attacks, so I avoided these kinds of confrontations with him at all costs. Love bombing, love bombers will talk crap about their exes. Yes, all of his exes were abusive, he said, and sometimes he said that I reminded him of them. With love bombers, they get hurt easily. Yes, I was horrified to make him upset or hurt because when I did, he made me feel like I was manipulative, narcissistic, and an a-hole. He called me a B-word and he called me selfish. There was no rhyme or reason to what hurt him. Once he was hurt because I salted my pineapple. In that situation, he called me a psycho over it and accused me of not caring about him because he took time and effort to cut me up a pineapple and I ruined it with salt and I hurt his feelings by not wanting to share a bowl. All right, so just chiming in here. This is a very telling story, I will tell you. <laughs> and uh, indicative of borderline personality disorder. Not all of borderline people will do this, but people who are unaware of their borderline and or have severe borderline will exhibit this behavior. And I have seen this many, many times. So let's analyze this. This is a really, really great story. And again, we know that borderline people are more prone to love bombing. Not because they're psychopaths. They're not doing it consciously. They're doing it because they're idealizing someone that's finally giving them their attachment needs. But anyway, so let's look at this hurt easily element. Once he was hurt because I salted my pineapple. Okay, when you first hear that sentence, you're like, what? Okay. So, so I, from, the, from this person's story, um, patron Marie, what I'm guessing happened was he, so he took the time and effort to cut up a pineapple for her. So he's sitting there with it. So he knows that he likes, that she likes pineapple and he's, he's cutting up the pineapple and he's thinking, oh, this will be great because we're going to share this pineapple and it, uh, uh, I'm, per, I'm, I'm preparing it perfectly just for her. I'm spending all this time, and maybe there were a, a lot of other things that he was doing. It wasn't just the pineapple. It was like several other elements that he was doing just perfect. And he is desperate for it to be received well because if it's received well, then it means that he can relax. If he can give this gift of the pineapple and it can be see, received well, then he can say, okay, 
all right, we're, we're secure. But that security doesn't last very long with, with relationally traumatized people. Um, the other thing is, is that they are extremely sensitive to rejection. So you give, so he gives the, uh, he gives her Marie, is that her name? I keep looking. Yeah. Patron Marie from Southwest. So he gives Marie the pineapple and she likes to salt her pineapple. And I will tell you that late in life, I have also realized that when you salt fruit, it is glorious. Like watermelon with a little bit of balsamic, balsamic and uh, and salt is just like divine. <laughs> I just, if you would have said watermelon, balsamic, and salt, I would have been like, what are you doing to, to your watermelon? But so good. Anyway, so Marie is like salting her pineapple and he has this feeling of one, you are changing this gift I gave you. I'm giving you this gift and you're changing it, which means that the gift I gave you wasn't good enough. By you salting this, it's as if you're saying my gift wasn't good enough and and I did something wrong. I should have salted it before I gave it to you. That's what I'm I'm feeling right now. Now, for pretty much anyone, there's a chance that you would feel that way. But if you have the ego strength and you don't have borderline uh, paranoia, then you quickly just soothe yourself and say, well, okay, she likes salt on her pineapple. I didn't know that. Duly noted. Next time I give her pineapple, I'll put, I'll, I'll put salt on it. And this doesn't mean she hates me. <laughs> it just means that she likes salt in her pineapple. Big deal. But, you know, there's a little twinge of rejection, probably that goes unnoticed for most people in a situation like that. But anyway, but to the borderline person, given their relational trauma, is extremely sensitive to rejection, extremely sensitive to being insecure in a relationship. So gives the pineapple. She salts it. He considers it like, oh, I did something wrong. She's rejecting my gift. I'm very insecure right now. This is terrifying. I'm feeling very hurt. I'm feeling like she's rejecting me. And then the hurt just goes through the roof. And then the anger goes through the roof. And then he says, you ruined it. So this is me reading the email. You ruined this dish with salt. And I can't believe that you hurt my feelings by not wanting to share the bowl with me. And you are a psycho. So that's, that's what he did. So if you, just read, if you just read the tagline, once he was hurt because I salted my pineapple, you just think, what? But when you understand how the brain works and how emotions work and how relational traumatized can be, tri- you know, relational traumas can be triggered, it all makes sense to me anyway. So I have seen things like this many, many times. I've treated a lot of people with borderline and with narcissism, and uh, but the people with borderline will exhibit things like this all the time, uh, particularly people higher up on the spectrum. And when you specialize in people like this, you see it every day with you know various different clients, and it becomes something that is easily detectable. But if you don't know how to detect it, it can blindside you. Because as a therapist, there were there are many moments like this, like the me accidentally salting pineapple that my client gives me, metaphorically, if you will. Like a client will come in and will say something like, okay, I finally did this or that. And I'll be like, okay, great. And then I might say something like, well, what else would you like to talk about? And the fact that I didn't ask them more about what I what they were wanting to tell me that was a big rejection of them. And then for months, they will they are convinced that I was 
completely a horrible therapist to them. But since I know what I'm doing <laughs> as I'm treating people with borderline, I don't take offense to it because I know that people come to therapy with problems and people with borderline come to therapy with extreme needs for attachment and very high sensitivity to being rejected even when they're not actually being rejected. They will see rejection when it doesn't exist. And what they need is someone to stay close to them and to withstand their anger and to see the hurt behind it and to soothe that and to be a corrective experience. So, um, yeah, little side note there. Going on with your email here, Marie. He also would have nightmares when I cheated on him and I'd have to apologize to him for what I did in his dreams. Again, sounds uh, like borderline to me. Going out with the email. I suspect he had borderline personality disorder. He was jealous of my two-year-old son and hated that I gave him attention. He told me my son probably had autism attachment issues and I was letting my child control me because my child cried for me when I was on the phone with this guy, which he wanted to do 24-7. It was very messed up. End of email. All right. So this is also uh, red flags of borderline, which is that he is you know, wanting to be in a relationship with with Marie. He, he's desperate for that closeness and he can't compete with anyone else, including her two-year-old son. And through his lens, if you hooked him up to a lie detector, he probably saw the two-year-old son in these negative ways because he sees the two-year-old son as a threat and he feels v frequently hurt as Marie gives attention to the two-year-old and is starting to resent the two-year-old. And then when you resent someone, you start seeing someone in a very negative light. And then you have these, these paranoid thoughts like, oh, this two-year-old son is trying to control you against me. And uh, yeah, so Marie's saying, you know, my child would cry for me when I was on the phone with him, which he wanted to do 24-7 because he's a two-year-old and he missed me <laughs> and he's two years old, of course. And this guy would tell me that there was something wrong with me and my son for the fact that I would go to him and give him attention. <laughs> right. So when you have borderline, it's no joke. And when you're unaware of your borderline, this is the kind of things you do. Now, I know a lot of you listening are aware of your borderline and are aware of uh, your tendencies or you're lower on the spectrum or something, and you would never do anything like this. You might have a, a an inkling or a, a, a little urge, but you'll stifle it because you know better than to do things like that. So I'm not saying all people with borderline will do things like this, but I've treated many people of various genders with borderline and they will do things like this. All right. This next email is from anonymous patron. She writes, I just listened to your deep dive on love bombing and it sounds very similar to a relationship I had with one of my best friends. I will say that my best friend has been going to therapy for a few years now, and our, our dynamic has improved since then. One thing that has stood out to me is when you mentioned the unnamed fear in disappointing the love bomber. This is very much the case with her. To the point I've almost lived in a city I didn't want to live because I didn't want to disappoint her. All right, just chiming in here. Uh, I, I, I'm guessing I went into detail in the deep dive, but just to reiterate, with people that are love bombing, that are psychopaths, you will feel this fear because 
you have an instinct that's picking up on the threat. And or the psychopath doesn't relate to people in an authentic way. They're faking it in a certain way. And your subconscious mind will pick up on that and you will feel afraid, even though you can't put your finger on why you feel afraid. With people who have personality disorders, narcissism, borderline, histrionic, for example, you will also feel afraid because of their intense need for attachment security and the pressure that that will put on you. You will pick up within a certain amount of time with people with borderline histrionic narcissism that if you step out of line, it will really hurt them. And you will either notice their hurt and feel bad for them and walk on eggshells for that reason, or you will notice their anger and their temper or their withdrawal, and you will walk on eggshells because of that. But it's weird because you might stop and think, but she's my best friend. I love her. She's, she's wonderful. She loves me. Why am I always tense around this person? Why do I always feel afraid? Why do I flinch when they call or text me? Why do I, why does my, what, why do my hands start to sweat when I get a text from them? And this doesn't mean you have to run from them, by the way. It just means that it could be an indication of the, the pain that the, your friend is going through or whoever you're relating to is going through. It doesn't mean that you have to move away from them, but it does mean that your fear might be completely valid based on what's happening for the person sitting across you. And that person might be imposing that threat on you, or you just might be picking up on their own tension and you're afraid for them and you're walking on eggshells to, to altruistic eggshells, if you will, for them. But anyway, I've experienced this many times and I've talked about it before. Uh, midway through my career, I started to notice that whenever I had a borderline narcissistic histrionic client, I always felt the exact same fear. And then I started to, in my personal life and professional life, interacting with colleagues or friends or others outside of clients, and I would notice every once in a while that I would feel that fear again. And I don't know if it was every time, but a lot of the times as time progressed, I would assess that this individual probably suffered from one of the personality disorders that I mentioned and that my body was picking up on that threat subconsciously and I was feeling that fear. So uh, over time, I feel like, and I, don't, I can't really know for sure, but I, th I've, I think I'm actually pretty good now at detecting people quickly just because I'll pick up on that fear really fast. Now, some people would say, oh, it's, a, you know, it's like you're a psychic or something. No, I'm not. What I probably I – I have – anyway, what I believe is happening is there are subtle emotional cues that someone with borderline narcissistic histrionic will exhibit and, psych, and psychopaths as a separate category will also exhibit that – will remind me of relationships I had in the past, uh, a certain level of eye contact or a certain level of desperation in their voice or a certain level of pain or vulnerability even that 
they will give off. Now, any one of these things you can have and probably uh, and won't necessarily trigger that fear in me. But uh, how do I put this into words? <laughs> it's hard. Let me, let me try. Let me try. Let me try. Okay. So if someone came at me and, and they s- say at work and, and they're talking with me and they're saying, hey, uh, I, you know, let's, let's hang out. And so we go to lunch and within a very short amount of time, they're talking about the amount of pain that they're going through in their life. But I'm detecting that as they're telling me their pain, I am now being held responsible for their pain. Not that I'm to blame for their pain, but that I am responsible for holding and fixing their pain, not only right now, but long term. The way that this person – this is just one example, by the way. So we're at lunch, and the person is is – and and I enjoy those conversations. <laughs> My wife makes fun of me sometimes because uh, we'll be talking with like a cashier or someone at the bank. And within a few minutes, the person is telling me their life story because I ask them really personal questions because I care. You know, someone will tell me something, you know, someone recently, we were supposed to just be talking for a few minutes and they they just mentioned that they had an adopted son. And... I asked a bunch of questions and before long she was telling me everything about all the troubles that they went through. And it was, and I like that. I like those conversations. So I'm not saying that if I, and I've always been that way, by the way, even before I was a therapist, I was kind of known among my friends that within a few minutes, like we'd be at a party and it's three in the morning and everyone's talking about what people typically talk, talk about at a college party where everyone's drunk and I'm in the corner talking with someone about something super deep. Now I'm not saying these conversations were uh, profound in any way, but I've, I've always enjoyed having more deep conversations. I, I, I've, I've never liked small talk anyway. So I'm at lunch and someone is dumping a lot of stuff on me and that's fine. Normally I, I don't shy away from that at all. In fact, I, I would rather be doing that than small talk. But let's also add to that this element of, and I need you, not only right now, but always. And I think you're the only one that can actually meet those needs. If I get, if I started getting that kind of vibe, then, and, and we don't really have that kind of relationship, then I start going, uh-oh, because I'm probably going to disappoint this person because... I don't know if I want to be that role in this person's life. We barely know each other. So I'm I'm already in this position, and this is kind of a minor, the, I'm describing kind of a minor version of love bombing, by the way, by, you know, I'm going to uh, pour my heart out to you and also give you this impression that you're now responsible for me. I'm not just dumping this on you and you can listen and we can move on. I'm dumping this on you because I need you to know that you kind of owe me because I need you so much, you know? And if I start getting that vibe, then I'm thinking, "Uh uh-oh, and then I start to feel that fear. So you could almost, as I'm talking my way through this, with a lot of narcissistic borderline histrionic individuals, they might subtly love bomb many people that they come into contact with, 
but not in the classic sense. It's just in this minor way where they're they're pressuring the other person to be responsible for you. Anyway, I don't know how I like how much I, I I'm th- I'm literally thinking out loud right now. Usually I take notes and think as I as I go and and stuff. But anyway, uh, let's get back to the email here. When we first met, so this is an anonymous patron. She's saying so. This is with the friend. Uh, when we first met, and even to this day, she has given me very elaborate gifts and very elaborate parties. There would always be tension whenever I would get a boyfriend. She still brings up a relationship I had 10 years ago and how she had to forgive me for the time I spent away from her during that time. When I chose a vacation abroad with my recent partner, she said she'd given up on the idea that we'd ever travel together and she couldn't believe I'd go on a vacation with some guy I'd only been dating for a few months. I think she has traits of narcissism. She has a way of talking about herself that elevates her above others. And she frequently makes jokes at my expense, particularly in regards to me being helpless or incompetent. I have a general sense of anxiety to please her. I'm not sure if our dynamic can quite be conceptualized as love bombing or not, but she did come to mind during the episode. End of email. Yeah, so you're not talking about love bombing particularly. Like I'm not hearing love bombing at the beginning of a relationship and then pulling away from you. But we are hearing elements of narcissism, right? That uh, she uh, talks in a way that elevates herself and she tends to put you down. She calls you helpless and incompetent. And she seems very hurt by things. She holds grudges and has a lot of attachment and security and will put pressure on you to, you say, you know, that you almost lived in a city that you didn't want to because you didn't want to disappoint her. So this is why I will, you know, some of you will be a little, uh, how do I say, surprised when I say that underneath every narcissistic person is a borderline person. And so, and at some point I'll go into more detail on that. But, but this is why I say that because narcissistic people are emotionally traumatized in the, in the same way. They just have a completely different way of dealing with it. Instead of leaning into relationships, they lean away from relationships, but they still need relationships. They just conscious, they just, uh, they trick themselves into leaning away from relationships. But meanwhile, it's sort of like they have one finger that's leaning away from a relationship, but their other nine are under the table, uh, desperately trying to grab at a relationship. <laughs> If that metaphor makes any sense. So, and we, because when we hear this description, some of you might be saying, well, that kind of sounds borderline to me. But then when we hear this element of she elevates herself and she puts other people down that are close to her and she pressures other people, then this starts to give us some indication of narcissism. Hard to say, of course, from this email, but, and we'll take an honest patron's word for it that she sees other things that are narcissistic in this people. Uh, in this person. But we also see what is more characterized as borderline in that she puts a lot of pressure on to be close and she gets, she's easily threatened like, oh, sure, you have this boyfriend you're going on this trip with now and I've been friends with you for many, many years and you've never gone on a trip with me. Okay. So that sounds borderline, right? Now, this is a something that we'll also see is that with women, 
that have this presentation, they will be labeled as borderline, and men who have this presentation will be labeled as narcissistic, just by the way. So, uh, but sometimes for me, like for me, for example, uh, I don't necessarily even label people in my mind. When I'm treating people that have borderline and or narcissism or histrionic, I don't necessarily label them in my mind that way. What I will do when I'm treating them is label them as having one of those three and with, you know, a, a couple narcissistic elements this way, a couple borderline elements this way, maybe a histrionic element that way. And I treat them all the same because they all need uh, relational attachment, security, corrective experiences. They all need to build a sense of self. They all need help with their emotional regulation. They all need help with their perspective. They all need help with building secure relationships outside of my office. They all need help with knowing themselves and being okay with themselves and knowing their relational traumas. So it doesn't really matter what I call them. I don't know why I'm going down that jag, but anyway, let's go on to another email here. Patron Louise says, after hearing your deep dive on love bombing, I want to email you. This concerns a friend of mine. She has a history of intense and relatively short relationships that seems to date the and seems to date the same man over and over again. Her father left when she was young. A stepfather rejected her as a child, and I believe she has a preoccupied attachment style. Okay, so just chiming in here, Patreon Louise is saying that a friend of hers has a lot of relational traumas and seems to have preoccupied attachment style. Getting back to the email. The most recent relationship she had had strong hallmarks of love bombing according to the criteria you set out. For example, love bombers will choose a vulnerable person. Yes, she is vulnerable in that she is a single mother with two young children. She has very low income and is looking for someone to rescue her financially. Love bombers will sometimes have age differences. Yes, he he was very wealthy and she and and he was older than her. Uh, so just chiming in here, uh, Louise is saying I have a friend that has very low income, single mother, two young children, and is looking to be rescued financially, and that this guy comes along who was very wealthy and older than her. Getting back to the email, love bombers will move quickly. Yes, after only two weeks, he came on very strong with I love you. He was buying her expensive gifts, which she enjoyed. He frequently contacted and complimented her. He suggested a future and moving in and marriage all very quickly. I tried to warn her that this didn't seem like normal behavior, but she was convinced that they were in love and that this was the real thing. After a few months, the attention and gifts started to recede. She was upset and angry that he was no longer texting her constantly or buying her things. He started to exhibit slightly hostile behavior. He would make negative remarks about her weight. He would never apologize for anything. She eventually broke up with him, and he responded with crying and begging her to come back and promised he would change. She went back into the relationship, and the same cycle repeated. This has been a familiar situation with her last few boyfriends. They're all wealthy, and they're all cruel to her after the initial love bombing. I believe a securely attached person with higher self-esteem would not become as involved in this situation as she did. End of email. Yeah, so this is interesting. So what... Louise is saying is, I know someone who is frequently love-bombed 
by older men who are wealthy and give her all these gifts in the beginning, and then they are cruel after a while. Uh, so there's this one guy that's, after, you know, once the gifts dry up, he would make negative remarks about her weight and wouldn't apologize and would be hostile to her. And what this uh, might indicate is that the friend of Louise is someone that actually will sniff out the narcissistic love bombers in the room and approach them, and they will fit well together. The, the narcissistic person fits well with someone that wants to be saved because the narcissistic love bomber is looking for someone that needs them, and the narcissistic person can step in and say, I have resources, I have wealth, I have stability, I've, I'm emotionally strong. A lot of narcissistic people believe they're emotionally strong, even though they're not. And I will be that stable rock, that manly, stable, narcissistic rock that you can stand on, and I will do anything for you. Because the narcissistic person is desperate for closeness and will, you know, approach, you know, to the narcissistic person, they will use their, well, so anyone, when they start a relationship, will use their strengths, right? So if you believe that you are smart and sexy, then you will dress in a sexy way and you will talk about your smart things. <laughs> if you believe that your, your strengths are that you're a good listener and you are interesting, then you will, at your first few dates, you will listen very intently and you will talk about your interesting stories. Everyone does this. And so for the narcissistic person of a certain flavor, what they will do in the beginning is they will say, I am useful to you. I am strong and I will save you because I am, I'm better than you. I'm better than most people. They don't necessarily believe this consciously, right? But they're thinking, I am special and I have, I have special things to offer people. And when, and so they'll put that forward as a way of trying to exhibit their usefulness to someone. And if someone else comes along and they actually have low self-esteem and they're looking for someone to follow and to, you know, they're looking for someone to be close to them so they can sort of absorb their self-confidence, then a very low self-esteemed person might actually be very attracted to a narcissistic person. And they fit well together in those ways. And the narcissistic person is looking at the low self-esteemed person saying, okay, this person has low self-esteem. I can kind of detect that and they need me. And that actually calms me down because I'm desperate for closeness and security. And if this person needs me for that, then I, I can relax. And to the low self-esteem person, They'll look at the narcissistic person and say, this person has it, has it all figured out. I just need to follow them and I will be fine. And, and this person, since they seem to have it all figured out, the fact that they like me justifies me so much more because this person has it all figured out and everyone treats this person like they have, have it all figured out. And if they like me, then it must be real and I must not be a terrible person, that kind of thing. All right, patron Crystal says... As I listened, I couldn't help but wonder if my father is a love bomber. But when I Google love bombing and parenting, all the resources refer to it as being positive. But as you described, it doesn't always feel that way. 
It feels like too much, too intense, too quick, and when not matched, punished with silence and sometimes criticism and invalidation. Love can feel conditional with my father. I think it's rooted in narcissism and psychopathy, actually. I know he's had a significant amount of attachment injuries growing up. End of email. Yeah, so it's a short email, Crystal, so I can't really speak too much on it. But when you Google love bombing and parenting, you will find resources that I was referring to in the deep dive that talk about uh, so love bombing in the parenting world is has a completely different definition. It is a technique of parenting, as I talked about last time, in which you are actually trying to really help your child by spending a lot of time with them. And I've actually prescribed this for parents to good effect, where you have a kid that's acting out real squirrely, maybe at school, and as an experiment, we'll say, okay, every day for 15 minutes – give full attention to that child. Now, I won't call it love bombing, but maybe I would have back in the day. I don't know. But we would just call it, you know, 15 minutes of one-on-one time where you sit down with a kid and you do whatever they want. If they want to read a story, if they want to play Legos, if they want to play, uh, you know, dinosaurs or whatever, then you do that for 15 minutes and you just really, really no phone, no distractions. If you have other kids, you don't let the other kids distract you. And if you have, you know, if you have three kids, you give each child 15 minutes. And the idea goes is that parents, they come home from work and they are trying to get all their stuff done and they're with their kids, but they're giving the kids kind of attention, but not undivided attention for 15 minutes. And so the parent is is, is at the end of the day, as they go to bed saying, well, I did all I could because I had a lot of chores to do. And I spent time with my three kids. But to the kid, the, they are desperate for one-on-one full, what we would call possibly love bombing from the parent. And so when you Google love bombing and parenting, um, and there are various versions of love bombing and parenting. I'm just describing one of them. But anyway, you are saying, Crystal, that your father is a love bomber possibly narcissistic, possibly psychopathic. Very different between narcissism and psychopathy. Narcissistic people have the capacity for empathy. It's just eclipsed by their desperate need for upholding the fantasy that they're special because they have emptiness on the inside. Psychopaths don't care about other people. They might also be empty on the inside, but they they do not have the capacity to care about others. There's just something different about them. They just don't care. And so they might love bomb you knowing that they are manipulating you. And because to the psychopath – now, psychopaths can love. It's a a misunderstanding that psychopaths and people with antisocial personality disorder are incapable of of love, incapable of human emotion. This is actually not true. Psychopaths can fall in love. Like Ted Bundy, I I think, legitimately fell in love with at least one woman before – before he uh, was desperately, desperately hurt by them and and decided to take revenge on all women because of that. Um, But the psychopath usually is someone who doesn't register other people's emotions as much. So uh, let me back up. So a psychopath wants attachment security, but 
they don't register and thus maybe don't care as much about other people's feelings. To the narcissistic personality disorder person, they have a rudimentary, a childlike empathy and understanding of other people's feelings, but they're so desperate and they're on such a treadmill of upholding the fantasy that they're awesome, they don't have time to pay attention to that and they don't have time to take care of other people. Um, yeah, but anyway, so uh, you're saying that your father was a love bomber and he was, uh, it was, there was a lot of love, very intense, very quick, and when you wouldn't match it, he would punish you with silence and criticism and invalidation. Yeah, so absolutely. You can experience a version of love bombing from your parents, absolutely. It's a lot of love, if it's the narcissistic kind, in an attempt to get attachment security with your daughter, with your child. And when it's not reciprocated, it hurts so much to them, they will attack. So there'll be it'll there'll be all this love and love and love and love. And then when there's any indication of rejection, they they pull back and or they just can't sustain that amount of love and attention over time and they just slow down to their normal cruising speed, which can be neglectful of other people because they're too focused on surviving their own attachment insecurities. All right, this email is from anonymous upper tier patron. She says, I had never even heard of the term love bombing until this episode. But as you were talking about it, I noticed how much it sounded like my first boyfriend. Thinking back on it, my body will go into distress when I think about it, and I realize how much it had affected me. So just chiming in here, this is a frequent experience of people who have been in relationships with narcissistic borderline histrionic people and psychopaths included that you will feel essentially you were traumatized by them and the trauma will be triggered when you think about them and your hands will sweat and your body will go into distress. Going back with the email. He was preoccupied and I was avoidant. It wasn't malicious though with him. I just think he really wanted to he really wanted a secure relationship. I was so closed off from him because I was avoidant that he pushed harder and harder than he normally would have. So in your criteria you mentioned that love bombers will seek out a vulnerable target. Yes, I was young and inexperienced. I had no sense of myself. I was a people pleaser. My self-worth was dependent entirely on other people's opinions. I had high-functioning anxiety, depression, and an eating disorder. So yes, I was a vulnerable target to his preoccupied love bombing. Love bombers often will have an age gap. Yes, I was 21 and he was 34. He asked me out the day after I turned 21 over text. Love bombers will communicate often. Yes, immediately after that first date, he wanted to be in constant communication with me. He would text me constantly, even when he knew I was sleeping or working and couldn't reply. He wanted to see me every day. And if I couldn't make plans, he would come to my work to see me. And I worked in retail, which is not a good place to hang out. Um, love bombers will move quickly and push for commitment. Yes. The day after our first date, he invited me to a social function with our mutual friends and made sure everyone knew that we were dating. I actually had my first panic attack in the bathroom that night. I suddenly felt like I had 
pressure from him and everyone else to in that party to be in a full relationship with him when I wasn't even sure if I liked him yet. But then I thought everyone would judge me for agreeing to go out with him and not giving him a fair chance. Okay, so just chiming in here. So the day after the first date, he invited her to a social function with all of your mutual friends, and he made sure to tell everyone that they were dating. And uh, he, she, you know, the emailer, uh, anonymous, anonymous up to your patron, she had a panic attack in the bathroom because she's like, oh, my God, he just told everyone that we're dating, even though we've been on one date so far. And I feel pressure to move forward in this relationship when I don't even I'm not even sure if I like him or not. So I'm caught between this rock and a hard place. So, uh, again, going back to her earlier part of the email, she says she was young and inexperienced. She had no sense of herself and she was a people pleaser. So someone else would have said, would have come out of the bathroom and been like, so I just want everyone to know that we've been on one date and I'm not sure if we're going to date anymore again. So I just want everyone to know that. (laughs) Or behind the scenes, you sort of say that. Or you tell him, look, we're about to go out with with our mutual friends. Do not tell them we're dating yet because I'm not sure if I'm ready for that. Or he says, yes, we're dating. And then... She says, uh-oh, I feel a little obligated to that, but you know what? I don't care if I feel obligated to that because uh, if, I want to be in the, if I don't want to be in the relationship, I, I, don't, I shouldn't feel like I have to be in the relationship just because I feel slightly obligated by the fact that he announced it to all of my friends. So this is how the people who are vulnerable to love bombing fit so much better with the love bombing tactic. If you are not vulnerable to it, if you have self-esteem, if you have a lot of attachment security and you don't have a lot of relational traumas or you've recovered from a lot of them, then when you're love bombed, you're much more likely to be like, whoa, let's, uh, I like you, but let's, you know, let's slow things down. And uh, you're able to do that and withstand the worry of disappointing the other person. Going out with the email. Also, his lease was up in two weeks when we started dating. And he moved across town to the apartments less than a mile from my house. He told me it had nothing to do with me, but it would make it easier for us to spend time together. And it was a two-bedroom with lots of closet space so I could move in eventually. Love bombers give gifts and compliments. Yes, never-ending compliments. From day one, it was flowers every week, stuffed animals, handmade bouquets. He wrote me a song, etc. Three weeks into dating, he gave me an expensive necklace. He told me he had bought it overseas four years ago and had been saving it for someone special. Then he told me he loved me. Then we had our first kiss. This was all before dinner. I don't remember anything else that night because I was internally screaming the entire time. The only clear visual I have of the night was on the way to the bathroom thinking in a very rom-com-y way that I can leave the necklace by the sink and climb out the bathroom window and I'll just move. The restaurant did not have a bathroom window. Okay, so uh, that's a pretty funny way of putting it. She's like, yeah, oh my God, he is saying he he loves me and that he, he just kissed me and he bought this necklace four years ago and he's been saving it for someone special. Oh my God, what is happening right now? I feel pressured. I, I don't know what I should do. And again, being young and experienced and lack of self and a people pleaser, 
she doesn't speak up and go like, uh, wait a second. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if I even like you. So I, I can't, I can't accept that right now. But instead she, ex- she accepts it, but she has this internal strife because on one hand, she doesn't want to accept it and she doesn't even want to date him anymore. But on the other hand, she feels the pressure of his love bombing and the, the feeling of, oh, crap, what if I disappoint him? That will be very, very difficult for him. And so, again, this is another element as to why love bombing fits very well with people pleasers because the love bomber is – if it's a non-psychopathic love bomber, they are actually subconsciously – trying to uh, inundate the other person with love such that love will just sort of permeate the relationship. They're sort of wishful thinking in a way. Love bombers are often wishful thinkers. They're, they're, they're hoping of something to be true, and they believe if they just manifest it, it'll happen. Anyway, so she says as she's headed to the bathroom in a very rom com way, she's like, I'll just leave the necklace by the – sink and I will crawl out the window and I'll just move far away and I'll never have to deal with this again. That was the alternative to just saying, hey, I don't think I want this necklace because I don't even know if I like you. Going out with the email. Agreeing to do things, love bombers will make you agree to do things normally you wouldn't and they will react poorly when you try to slow things down. Yes, a few days later, I gave the necklace back to him and told him that we needed to slow down. He pushed back on everything I said and made me feel guilty. And even though he agreed to slow things down, I also had to to agree with a bunch of things that sped things up, all of which pushed for commitment and speed up our relationship. I agreed to spend more time with him and less time with my family. I needed to cut back on my relationship with one of my closest friends because he was a guy. He wanted to make sure I wasn't serious about letting my mother live with me when she was old. And he wanted a timeline for when I wanted to be ready for an engagement and marriage. Okay, so just chime in here. So this sounds like the beginning of the relationship. Maybe within the first week, I don't know, but beginning of the relationship. And he gives her this necklace that's very important. And she's like, look, I like you, but I feel like we're going a little too, going too fast. I want to give you this necklace back. Probably subconsciously because, or at least consciously that uh, because the she's thinking if I accept this necklace, I'm basically communicating that I'm into this as much as he's into me and I'm not. I, I like him, I think, maybe, but I don't like him that much. So I don't want to lead him on by accepting this necklace, so I'm going to give it back. So I was very smart of her to do. And as a litmus test for love bombing – we find out what he, what he, what's really going on is that these are conditional love gestures. And he pushed back on everything that she said and made her feel guilty. You know, I can't believe you're doing this to me. I can't believe that you're hurting me in this way. And then he's like, okay, well, okay, I'll take it back, but on some conditions. And just listen to these conditions that he has that you need to spend more time with me and you need to spend less time with your family. That is just a huge red flag for a problematic, abusive relationship. And again, remember that love bombing in the narcissistic, borderline histrionic way is often the precursor to an abusive, controlling, high-control relationship. Uh, she needed to cut back on a relationship with one of her closest friends because he was a guy. Very indicative of love bombers. 
non well psychopathic or non psychopathic. He wanted to make sure I wasn't serious about letting my mother live with me when she was old. <laughs> like what? Again, I think this is the beginning stage of a relationship. Imagine you're in the beginning stage of a relationship and you're 21 years old, by the way. And this guy is like, right? Wasn't, wasn't she 21? Yeah. And he's like, okay, but I need you to make sure that you're not serious about having your mom move in with you when you, and the whole thing is like, what does that have to do with thing with? Because you could certainly marry and fall in love and then your mother-in-law could move into your house. It doesn't, doesn't inherently threaten the love that you have with someone, right? But to him, it was probably this very, uh, you know, very in the future thing of like, well, what if the mom moves in? Then I won't be able to have her full attention, which I know will hurt me and I need to control that. And he wanted a timeline for when she would be ready for engagement and marriage. So he's like, okay, fine. I'll take the necklace back, but I need a timeline from you right now about when we're going to get engaged. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Going out with email. Love bombers will uh, make you fear displeasing them and love bombers will get hurt easily. Yes, I felt overwhelmed by him all the time. I was afraid I would disappoint him if I didn't live up to being the person he wanted me to be. There was a constant tension around him because I felt suffocated. But then I would feel bad for making him feel bad when he was only doing nice things for me. There was a lot of fighting and him wanting to make up with me. I hated confrontation and I felt ungrateful so we would stay together. Love bomber. Oh, so just going with email. I walked away from the relationship believing two things. There must be something fundamentally wrong with me for not appreciating all his romantic gestures. And I was a terrible person because he obviously loved me more than I deserved. In hindsight, I can see how problematic it was and how much I've grown through therapy and a secure relationship with my current husband. So good for you. Uh, end of email. So good for you, up to your anonymous patron. I'm so glad that you have a secure relationship with your husband and that you have learned that this past relationship had nothing to do with anything wrong with you. <laughs> you were young and experienced. You hadn't developed a sense of self yet. You were a people pleaser probably due to relational traumas where you're going up and you're an easy victim for this kind of emotional abuse. And it's emotional abuse. To, to tell someone, hey, I'd like to slow down and have that person be like to get angry at you <laughs> because of that. And then to force you to to agree to do things that you don't want to do. I mean, that's high control right there, right? Very, very concerning. And I'm glad you got out of it because if you would have stayed, it probably would have developed into a more abusive relationship. Hard to know, but it could have for sure. All right, I guess I'll end it there. There were other emails that I very much appreciated, but I just decided to read the first bunch. So I apologize if I didn't get to your email in particular, but let it be known that there were other emails that gave extremely similar accounts. So I'm guessing even if I didn't read your email in particular, you're benefiting from hearing other people's stories and saying, oh, that sounds very similar to, to my story. A lot of stories sounded very similar to each other. Again, just to go over the different types of love bombers, these are my types. We have the psychopathic one, which is rare. This person is like a Charlie, Man Charlie Manson, Dirty John, Ted Bundy, Jim Jones. These people are definitely out to get you and they are using love bombing as a technique and they, they don't have 
they don't care about your feelings. The more common type is narcissistic or borderline uh, disorganized love bombers. Narcissistic people have relational traumas that make them desperate for attachment, but they will uh, trick themselves by a fantasy that they're special as a way of just upholding some level of self-esteem. And when they meet someone, they're like, oh, you can give me narcissistic supply. And if you're a very good listener, you can fit well with my narcissism if you're a people pleaser. And you also can be, uh, you, you need me. And so thus, I feel more secure with you and my, you know, as an attachment figure. And they will fall deeply in love with you legitimately. And they will love bomb you in a way that is non-psychopathic. But at, at, as time goes on, the narcissistic person is going to get triggered by vulnerability, sensitivity, and they'll pull away from you. And the love bombing will definitely end. And then as you pull away from them, their the terror of losing you will override their need to uphold the fantasy of superiority and avoidance of vulnerability. And they will, in a almost borderline way, lean into you and love bomb again, potentially. Then we have the borderline preoccupied disorganized love bomber. Again, very relationally traumatized growing up. And they will need someone who is stable. They'll, they'll often look for an older person, not always, but someone who will save them. And they'll fall deeply in love with that person legitimately. It's not fake. It's, it's real. They're subconsciously love bombing. They're idealizing because for once, oh, my God, this person's going to save me. All my attachment needs are going to be net going to be met. As time goes on, the borderline individual will be triggered by something, by rejection, will get very, very hurt, and they will get hostile potentially, and the love bombing will end. And then as you pull away, their abandonment fears kick in, and they will desperately try to grab for you through love bombing once more. And sometimes that can actually be sexual. Uh, sometimes it's not. And and those are the different types. Um the signs of uh, of um, or the 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 steps I should say are frequent compliments. They communicate often. They move quickly in the relationship. They might offer to save you. They push for commitment quickly. You will find yourself agreeing to to do things you wouldn't do normally. They don't react well when you try to slow things down. They give you many gifts. You feel an unnamed fear of displeasing them. Your friends will say you've changed in a bad way. They talk crap about their exes. They might be older than you, uh, but also they might be younger. Just an age difference often facilitates love bombing. They get hurt easily, and they will choose vulnerable uh, targets. So it's been quite a journey on the love bombing exploration. And I'll say at the beginning of this uh, deep dive, I had a pretty rudimentary understanding of love bombing, but doing this episode gave me a chance to really look into it, really think about it some more, think about past clients, past people in my personal life. And yeah, I, I feel pretty satisfied with this journey. And the emails have, have really helped me in my understanding of love bombing as well. It's complicated. You know, it's it's not easy to to get. As, and I hope that's kind of clear when I was reading some of the emails. It's it's there's a lot of details there. There's a lot of nuance to it. But the key is that you know the main difference is love bombing is when uh, you know the difference between 
falling in love and, and, you know, the difference between someone just really loving you in a healthy way and someone love bombing you is that when someone loves you in a healthy way, they respond well to your boundaries. Their love is unconditional. They respond well, relatively well to criticism. Uh, and you won't feel like you're walking on eggshells around them. There won't, there won't be pressure put on you. They love you for who you are. And when you want to push back, they might get a little hurt, but they won't be threatened by it. And they their love will continue for you because they they legitimately love you and they have the self-esteem and maybe the ego strength and, and the attachment security to withstand a little bit of pushback. And, and they will trust that your affection for them will continue regardless of you pushing back a little bit and or they have enough security in themselves to know that, well, if this person rejects me, I'm, I'm okay on my own. I don't necessarily need this relationship. I want this relationship. I don't necessarily need it the way that people with personality disorders do. All right. Well, let me know what you think. And everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it. You really, really do. 